Tonight, we just look forward to, uh, to Lord, just spending time with you. And God, I pray that as we uh, kind of are reaching the end here of Ezekiel and we're looking at, God, the millennial kingdom and things that are going to happen, the way things are going to be laid out. And Lord, we've looked at the temple and now moving on to uh, other aspects. I pray that we would know and understand, God, this is your heart and you're working your plan. And Lord, this is your heart for us even today. So I pray that we would have, as you tell Ezekiel, we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and we would, Lord, grab a hold of these things and not let them go. So bless this time, Lord, and, and be glorified in it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, these last chapters of Ezekiel, once again, mainly are describing the millennial period. So, you know, when Jesus comes back, I believe he's going to come back. I believe he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. There are those who disagree, but I'm in that camp. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years, and we're kind of looking at that. We saw where the temple's going to be rebuilt and, and uh, all of that going on, that laid out. Now he's got to lay out the whole idea of the priest and how the priests are going to function and kind of those who are in and sadly enough, those who are out, which is kind of a drag when you, when you look at this and, and realize what's going on. And so Ezekiel's kind of getting that. Now, here's what I think is fascinating about this part. Remember, Ezekiel's a priest. He's from the priestly line. So this has got to kind of hit his heart as to what's happening and what's going on. It's got to kind of penetrate pretty deep. And we're going to find out, you know, we need to know and understand sin has consequences. And I believe we're forgiven of our sin. I believe God washes it away. But there's consequences. And we need to understand that. And, and so picking it up, though, before we get to that part, we'll look at, at this early part. It says in verse 1, in, uh, chapter 44, Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces towards the east, but it was shut. So remember, Ezekiel, we left off. Ezekiel's in the, in the temple complex area, right? And God's showing him everything and showing him what's going on. And he's kind of, you know, I don't know if it's virtual reality. I don't know how God did it. I don't know what's going on. But Ezekiel's there as far as Ezekiel's concerned, right? So he's in the temple area. And now he's moved and he's, he's on the inside looking at the eastern gate that shut, and you know, I, I, I said last time that it always amazes me, every time we go to Israel, when, when you look and you face the Eastern Gate, how they've got it cemented up, they've got it covered, they're, they're so freaked out about it, which it kind of, it humors me, because these are Muslims who did all of this, who supposedly don't believe in the God of the Bible, who supposedly don't believe in Jesus, and who supposedly kind of poo-hoo all that, but they're really worried he's gonna go through that gate. So they've done everything they can to make sure he can't as far as even putting a, you know, a cemetery in front of it full of dead bodies because they know he can't touch dead. And I'm thinking, wow, for somebody who doesn't believe, you're like taking a lot of actions on something you don't believe in. So, you know, some people, and listen, I don't think, I don't think you know, what Ezekiel's seeing here is that gate because this is different. This is rebuilt, etc., and it's in the temple structure, not the city wall structure. So kind of keep that in mind. So I don't think it's necessarily, you know, that gate that we all, anybody who's been to Israel, you've got the vision of that gate and all the blocks and everything in it. So listen, but he says it was shut, verse two, and the Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut, it shall not be open, and no man shall enter it, 
because the Lord God of Israel has entered it, therefore it shall be shut. As for the prince, because he is the prince, he may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord and he shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gateway and go out the same way so here's what he's saying nobody's going to go through that gate once the Lord enters through that gate because now it's sanctified and again don't start thinking of well Jesus comes back and he's supposed to we're not talking about that we're talking about after that and so the glory of the Lord's gone through. Remember last time in Ezekiel we watched, the glory of the Lord came through there. And now the gate shut. He's looking at it from the other side. And he says, no one can go in and out that gate. And he says, except for the prince, that the prince can go and sit in the gate and eat, not go in and out because he's got to go through the vestibule. And if you did your homework right, I told you to read those chapters, that the parts we skipped over, and all of you did that, right? Yeah, Sure. Some of you did. Some of you are like, I wasn't going to read that. There's no way. So, but hey, if you got all that, he described the vestibules and what's at each gate. So he's sitting in one of those, and that's where he can eat. Now, who is this prince? And I got to tell you something. I don't know. A lot of people say it's the Messiah. It's not the Messiah because in chapter 45, you can read ahead. In chapter 45, this same prince is offering up sin offerings for himself. Jesus is not going to offer up sin offerings. So who's the prince? Some people say it's David. I'm not, I'm not thinking it's David. I, I don't know who it is, you know. It's, well, you know what? During the millennium, we can buzz over there and find out. Just buzz in and say, oh, now I know who it is. I'm not sure who it is. You can, you can speculate and do whatever you want. But here's what I know, man. There's no entrance in and out of that gate during this time. So he describes that. And, and you know, that part kind of went with what we read last time. Fits more better with that than what we're going to look at now. Now we're going to spend some time talking about serving at the temple and who's going to serve, how they're going to serve, and, and what their different responsibilities are and how all that's going to work out. And I think it's important because I think as we read this today, we need to relate what we're reading a little bit to our own idea of worship and gathering for worship and our heart attitude and the way we come together because I think it's important. So listen to what he says here. In verse four, he says, also he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. So I looked and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord and I fell on my face. Now I love that part. Listen, man, Ezekiel got a glimpse of the glory of the Lord in the temple and it caused him just to fall on his face and worship. I gotta ask, when was the last time you were on your face worshiping God? Now, I think, I think in public worship, I think that could be real distracting. I think, you know, if you bounced out in the aisle and got on your face and, and did something, I think that might be a little bit distraction, uh, uh, distractive in, in a public setting for worship. But do you ever get on your face in your prayer closet? And I'm not, you don't have to answer me. Don't shake your head yes or no or whatever. But do you? It's interesting that... When I believe when we really see the glory of God and get a vision of who he is, it should, it should cause us to fall on our face. We should understand this is the king of the universe. This is the one who made everything. And he wants a relationship, a close, intimate relationship with you and with me. That's mind-boggling. 
And so listen, man, I, I love this, man. Ezekiel just couldn't take it, and he's on his face. And, you know, some people, some people that are of the more charismatic uh, Pentecostal sect kind of say, you know, this is being slain in his spirit. And when people do that in most of those meetings, I always notice they fall backwards, and they have a catcher, right? And they have someone, and I always notice they make sure, and then they go, right? They, like, never just go. Well, he didn't fall on for backwards. He fell forward. He's on his face. So I don't, I don't think it's that. I don't, in other words, here's what I'm saying. Don't use these scriptures, and there's several places in scripture where it talks about that, as a proof text for that going on. These guys always fall forward, and they're on their face. So he's on his face, like worshiping God. And then verse 5, and the Lord said to me, son of man, mark well, in other words, write down, right? See with your eyes, hear with your ears all that I say to you concerning all the ordinances of the house of the Lord and all its laws. Mark well who may enter the house and all who go out from the sanctuary. And once again, man, remember last week he told him, see with your eyes, hear with your ears, and, and get it in your heart and remember so you can tell the people. And here he's saying, write it down. And you and I, I think, have that same command, man. When we're in front of God and we're worshiping God, man, hide it in your heart. Heart. Don't just like go through the motions and don't just, you know, be a, a, a kind of a, what I like to call a kumquat for Christ and just things are happening. But man, get involved. And he's saying, Ezekiel, man, you got to get this. Why? Because number one, it's important for them to know, but it's also important for you to know Ezekiel and let this be in your heart. So, so listen, now, now it gets down to the nitty-gritty. Here's what he's wanting him to know, and especially write this down. Verse 6, now say to the rebellious, or say to the rebellious, to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, O house of Israel, let us have no more of all your abominations. So kind of imagine, man, all the people are coming together in a sense, and this is declared to them like, we're not going to do this anymore. I'm not sure if that is going on or if Ezekiel is supposed to talk to his generation and tell them. Now, I believe it's for every generation. We need to watch our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. And that's what God is saying. Guard your heart, especially when you're coming into the presence of the Lord. Guard your heart protect your heart watch what's going on get rid of abominations and then here's what he says though what happened with them verse 7 when you brought in foreigners uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh to be in my sanctuary to defile it my house and when you offered my food the fat and the blood then they broke my covenant because all of your abominations and you have not kept charge of my holy thing but you have set others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. Here's what the Lord is saying. What are you doing with these other unbelievers in my house? Now, again, not talking about a house of worship like this where we want people to come and hear the word, but they're intimate, they're involved in ministry. And he goes, what is going on? And check this out. Go all the way back to Joshua 9 and start reading there and then read the rest of your Bible tonight before you go to sleep. Well, just go read Joshua 9. And in Joshua 9, it starts. And it starts with the Gibeonites. 
and they bring them in, and here's what happened. When you captured people, you would make them slaves and have them serve in, that, in the temple of the Lord. That was never to be. And God says, what is going on? And you and I, let's, let's just kind of put it this way for you and I, and I'm talking to believers right now. Hey, as we're serving the Lord and we're part of a ministry and we're doing things, we should never put unbelievers in any position of a leadership or any position of authority in the church. And you have to guard that. You have to watch that. He says, what were you thinking? And they did it thousands of years ago. Now, here's what you need to realize. Israel did it thousands of years ago. They're going to pay consequences all the way thousands of years from now, or maybe at least a thousand years. Hey, in the millennium. And it's going to cost them. And he says, hey, you did this, I noticed. Now, listen, I think they were influenced. I think they were influenced by those around them. And isn't it easy to have culture influence and begin to dictate what we do in the church. And that's what Israel did. Because everybody around them, whether it was the Baal worshipers or the Molech worshipers or you know whoever they were worshiping, Dagon, all of those other gods, all of the people who worshiped all those other gods, they didn't have a problem being polytheistic. In other words, you can have as many gods as you want. You just pick a god and you, know, you can have a bunch. I've been to India. India has over a million gods. It's really hard in India. I, re- I remember I was sharing one time, and you know I thought I was doing really good. I was sharing with a group of people, and I was telling them that Jesus is God, and they're like agreeing with me, and it's going really well. And Danny Turner came up and whispered to me, and he says, Pat, they have like a million gods. One more is not going to make a difference. You need to be more, more accurate on what you're trying to tell them. So listen, man, all of them were polytheistic, and it didn't matter who went in their temple. Hey, anybody could go, you want to come in our temple? That's fine. You want to serve in our temple? That's fine. Israel picked up on that, and he started doing that. And God says, what are you doing? And did you notice? He says, why are you giving them my food? Why are they at my table? Now, again, not that God doesn't want to take care of the needy. He's saying, what are, they, what are you giving them holy things? And I believe, listen, I believe in our generation, and speaking from my heart, I believe we've lost the sense of holiness and the sense of of being men and women who are called out from something into something else. And listen, I think we should have, we should be different than the culture around us. Not we're different, you know, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Not that we, you know, we're going to wear clothes without buttons or all black or some weird stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. By our lives, by who we are, people should see. There's something about you that I can't quite get, but there's something about you. Can you tell me what it is, why you live the way you live, why you do the things you do? Because, man, I'm seeing it, and that's what I want. And so listen, man, he says, you're not doing that. You just incorporate, you just brought everybody in and you made everybody the same and you put yourself on that level and worse than that, you brought me down to that level, right? So he says in verse nine, thus says the Lord God, no foreigner uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in the flesh shall enter my sanctuary, including any foreigner who is among the children of Israel. So during the millennium, he's saying, listen, man, if you're not part of what he's doing, you're not in and he's letting him know and now he tells the consequences so you remember you have the uh you've got the levites and then in the midst of the levites remember back in 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 exodus when he separated them all and made the priests you have the levites who are priests of the temple but then you have the priestly line that came from aaron and eventually zadok 
And so you have that line. So, so listen, man, here's what he says to the priests, to the Levites. Verse 10, and the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and as ministers of the house, and they shall slay the burnt offerings and, and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. Therefore, I've raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord, that they shall bear their iniquity. So here's what God's saying. Listen, here's what he's saying. The Levites who were supposed to serve the Lord, listen to what he's saying. Now here's what they're going to do in the temple. They're going to serve the people. They're going to be before the people. And they're going to be the ones who get to gut all the animals, clean them, butcher them, and do that sort of thing. Oh, fun, huh? And that's what you're going to do, and you get to be the gatekeepers. You get to open the gates and shut the gates and gut the animals. That's, that's the consequences for you bringing others to my table. So there's a difference. Listen, in God's house, there's a difference between serving people and serving him. And he says, you're going to serve them and you're going to go before them because you brought idols before them and you caused them to drift from me and you caused them to go before idols. So now that's what you're going to do. Now, here's what blows my mind. I'm thinking Ezekiel seeing this vision or part of this vision or whatever's going on and it's got to affect him pretty drastically because he's part of that line. Now, I don't know if he's part of the Zadok line or that line, but man, he's got to be thinking, that is not good. And once again, behavior thousands of years, at least, at least, I would say 4,000 years if Jesus comes back today. And then we go through the seven year and then he sets up the millennium. At least 4,000 years ago, they committed that sin and there's consequences so he's saying, that's what's going to happen. And in verse 13, he says, and they shall come near me to minister to me, or they shall not come near me to minister to me as priests. So you hear what's going on? They're going to minister to the people, but they're not going to minister to the Lord. They're not going to come near him as priests, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its works and for all that has to be done in it. So that's the Levites, man. Listen, that's pretty intense, and you and I need to think about our lives what are you doing today that may affect your relationship and how you can serve the Lord tomorrow or next week or next year are you putting up barriers are you putting things in place that are going to disqualify you and put you in a position or are you really going after him with your whole heart so there's a challenge. Now, that's the bad news. There is good news, but, right, in verse 15, but the priests, the Levites, the son of Zadok, who keep charge of my sanctuary, or who kept charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me. And he says, listen, he says, they're the ones who shall come near me. And, I'm sorry, I lost my place. They shall come near me. 
when the children of Israel, I'm, I'm going to start verse 15 again, sorry. But the, but the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me and to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer, uh, to, offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God, and they shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me and they shall keep my charge so you kind of getting the idea of what's going on now listen for homework if you want to read about these guys you can read second samuel 8 first chronicles 6 second uh, uh, again second samuel again 15 and first kings 1 so a little bit of homework check this out and read about zadok and how all of that happened and the stands that they took during that time so he says here's what's the difference the levites are gonna do the butchering and opening and closing gates. The sons of Zadok, the descendants of Zadok, they get to come before me. Do you get the difference? And listen, I think we all need to evaluate, do you like being in God's presence? I love being in the presence of God. Or do you wanna just be a kind of a, a person who you're on the outside looking in and you kinda of stayed off and, and off Hey, we need to make a decision, man, because it's our hearts. Once again, it's where our hearts are at and what's going on in our hearts. So he says, hey, that's what's gonna happen. Now, here's what I think is important. Now we're gonna get a description of what goes on with those who really want to serve God. And I believe, listen, if you're a believer today, if you are one who says, I'm following Jesus, I wanna walk with Jesus, then I think this pertains to all of us because in the New Testament, we're told that we're all priests and we're all part of this. So keep in mind what he's saying for these guys because I think it's important for us and, and, and some of it I think needs to be, quote, translated or brought into what we're doing. But here's what he says in verse 17. And it shall, it shall be whenever they enter the gates of the inner court that they shall put on linen garments, no wool shall come upon them while they minister within the gates of the inner court or within the house. And they shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers on their bodies and they shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. So listen, God is saying they need to dress a special way. I'm not so sure that we can translate that and make that appropriate for us. You know, I, I'm not sure, you know, what is the proper dress as we serve the Lord and, and as we do things. And, you know, there are those who think you have to wear special garments as you're serving the Lord. And I think that's a little, I think, you know, again, that's taking it too far. But here's what he's saying. I believe serving God should not cause you to sweat. In other words, you can't work. You can't do something for God to win God's pleasure. Our relationship with the Lord is dependent on his blood and what he's done for us. And if you think that I'm gonna do this to win God's favor and he's gonna feel good about me because I go to church or because I read my Bible or because I get up at 5 a.m. to pray for you while you're sleeping. Some people like to say that. Hey, that's not gonna win you favor. And I, I believe we can translate that because he says, listen, I don't want you sweating when you're serving me. Did you hear what he said? I want you to wear linen so you're not sweating as you're serving me. And again, we can't work our way into heaven and we surely can't work our way into the heart of God. I hope you know as a believer, I try and tell people this all the time. The moment you're saved, God loves you, well, and I think even before, but especially once you're saved. God loves you as much as he's ever gonna love you. 
By doing things, he's not gonna love you more. And, and uh, listen, we're, a lot of us were raised in homes or whatever that, man, if we did good, our parents were really happy, they were really good to us. If we did bad, ouch. And we had to kind of earn our way in. And we translate that into Christianity. You need to know, man, God loves you tonight as much as he's ever gonna, you're not gonna make him love you more by reading your Bible, by praying, by serving him, by going on a mission field, by being, some people call, being miserable. He's not gonna love you more. He loves you as much right now as he's ever gonna love you. And as a Christian, we need to rest in that and we need to understand that. Now, along with that, I believe, listen, along with that comes some responsibility. And that's what he's gonna define for us. So along with that we, comes some responsibility and things we need to do. So he says, listen, man, you wear these special clothes. Now, isn't it interesting how many Sects of Christianity have special clothes. I think of Catholics, right? The priest has to put on his priestly stuff. I am so glad we're not Catholic. I don't think I'd look good in robes. The Orthodox, I come from an Orthodox background. They wear dresses. I get freaked out. At my dad's, at my dad's funeral, someone leaned over. We were doing the graveside and and the priest had on his, like, dress, I call it. I don't know what you call it. Robes, I guess. But it wasn't robes. It was a black dress. Someone leaned over and said, hey, Pat, you're a pastor. You ever wear one of those? I mean, that would, and so, look, and so some of them do that. Then you have, you know, some who won't use buttons, or I guess zippers is what it is. They won't use zippers because those are bad. Or you have others that you have to dress this way. You have to dress... And listen, man, it's not about what you're wearing. It's about your heart and your life and what you're doing. So he lays that out, and then he says in verse 19, when they go to the outer court, to the outer court, to the people, they shall take off their garments which they have ministered and leave them in the holy chambers and put on other garments in the, and in, uh, put on other garments and in their holy garments they shall uh, they shall not sanctify the people. So here's what he's saying. I, I, you know, for them it was it was you put away the linen clothes and you put on your regular clothes and you go out. But for us, I look at it this way: we shouldn't be different when we're in church and then different when we're out of church. We should be the same. And we, people should know us, listen, not by what we're wearing, but by who we are. So he lays that out now, I think comes into, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break these verses down because I think they're important, starting in verse 20. They shall neither shave their heads nor let their hair grow long, but they shall keep their hair well trimmed. So again, you know, this isn't talking about, I know, I know during the Jesus movement when, you know, the hippies started coming into the church and people got freaked out and they're like, man, what are those long hairs doing in here? And, and kind of that, that's not what this is talking about. Hey, I know some churches, I call them like, well, I won't tell you what I call them, but they're the ones that like they make you get the, you know, army haircuts. I didn't like that haircut when I was in the army. And I'm surely not going to like it after the army. So, you know, when I got out of the army, I didn't get a haircut for, uh, I got out in 1975. I got my haircut in 1983. So just, I like made up for it. And, uh, you know, and my wife is saying, when are you going to get a haircut? And actually, it was, I got saved in 1983. So I decided to cut some hair and not because of Ezekiel. But listen, man, some people are going, well, this, is, this isn't talking, this is not talking about length of hair. 
Because it does say shaved, and I'm looking around, I see some shaved heads. So, you know, that's kind of the, uh, the other end. Here's what he's talking about. He's saying, hey, a time of mourning, men would grow their hair and let it be unkept, and it'd be a sign of mourning. Or they would shave their hair if they were in that repentant state and doing something. He's saying, listen, man, you're not supposed to do that. Just look normal is what he's saying. Be kind of part of the culture and look normal. Don't be like having your hair like all wild and don't be shaving your head. Be part of that. And once again, for us, you can't take this and use this as a proof text on how long hair is supposed to be or how long it's not supposed to be and, and et cetera. I believe once again, man, you need to be in a, in a culture that you're living in. And today you can kind of have it anyway, can't you? You can have it long, you can have it short. There's not a lot of that. I think some churches are still into, if you have long hair, you're in sin, but uh, this wouldn't be one of them. So he defines that, and then the next one, listen, verse 21, no priest shall drink wine when he enters the inner court. Isn't it interesting that the Lord had to tell them, when you're in the midst of serving, you don't drink wine. And it, I think it was drinking, you know, drinking and, and being affected by wine. But you don't drink wine. I remember when, uh, I, had, when I broke my leg and, and uh, I was on some heavy pain medication because of my leg. And I remember when the doctor prescribed it, I, I like freaked out. I go, I'm not taking that. And he goes, if you don't take that, you'll probably shoot yourself. So I would take it. And I go, ah, I don't know. And he goes, you need, number one, you need it because of what I've done to your leg. Number two, you're not gonna survive, so take it. And, you know, and I remember, I could have come back to the pulpit a week early as far as recovery, but I still had a lot of that coding in me. And I thought, I'm not gonna do that. Listen, I, I believe we should never serve the Lord under the influence of whatever it is. And so, you know, I think it's an important principle. I think he's laying that out here. I know today in our culture, there's a lot of people. Listen, man, there's tons of ministries that, hey, it's okay. Now, listen, I'm not saying that people can't drink because the Bible's clear on that. It says just don't get drunk. And, and that's very specific. So I'm not one of those legalists that say that, although I'm gonna be honest here. You know what the best way is to never get drunk? Don't drink. It's kind of a, to me, like a no-brainer, right? If I never drink, I know I'm never gonna get drunk. And listen, I believe, I believe as a pastor that I should not drink, period. Not even just not when I'm serving. I think well, I should just not do it. Why? Because I don't wanna stumble somebody. I don't want somebody to see me out in a restaurant having a glass of wine and go, oh, well, Pastor Pat's having a glass of wine. And they might struggle with alcohol and then fall and get get in that place where they start drinking again. Hey, on one of our trips to Israel, we had some people that took liberty to drink, and that's their liberty. They weren't, you know, and, and it bothered me, but hey, I'm not a dad. And they took that liberty, but at the, on that same trip, we had somebody who I knew struggled with alcohol. And I saw her get up from a table after people left, and they left a little bit of wine. I saw her go drink that wine. We got back from Israel and that woman fell back into horrible drinking patterns, ruined her marriage, and it just wrecked it. And here's what I thought. Why would anybody want to do that to her? Now listen, I'm not saying the people who are drinking did that to her, but maybe that wouldn't have happened if they didn't do it. I don't want to be that person. 
I don't want to be that person that stumbles somebody and, and it comes in and ruins their life. And again, especially as leadership, in our church, if you want to serve as a pastor, you're going to not drink. You know, and I've had some people on staff that said, I don't like that. And I go, well, you have a choice. Either do it or leave staff. Because I believe strongly. Now listen, I know there's ministries where pastors have beer in their fridges in their offices. That freaks me out. That like, like makes me really, really scared. And uh, you can go and check my fridge anytime. Well, maybe not. Well, yeah, it'll be Okay. Well, maybe not. You might steal my food. So, <laughs> but listen, man, here's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying as you serve, are you, are you looking at it as this tremendous privilege that you've been given and that you're gonna take steps to keep it so pure and so that your heart is right to stand, number one, for them, before God. Can you stand before God? You don't want to be tipsy in standing before God. So he says, listen, man, you have to do that. Again, talking to them, and I know some people are going, dude, that was back then, and this is, you know, the year 2019, and you got to know what's going on, and you got to know the culture, and I, I get all of that, but once again, are we going to let culture dictate to us just like Israel let culture dictate to them? and he brought the Gibeonites in, and now they're suffering for it. Hey, it's gonna cost you, and you start doing those consequences, it's gonna cost you. So here's what he says, man. No priest shall drink wine. I remember when I, when I really felt called to the ministry, I was drinking at the time as a Christian because I, I had that privilege. And I was on a beach in Mexico, and we were with some people, and I said, hey, guys, I decided not to drink anymore. And they go, Why? And we were, you know, we were at the end of a mission trip. We weren't serving anymore. We were coming back. So, you know, kind of vacation time. And I said, I'm not going to, and they go, why? And I said, well, God just put it on my heart. And here's what they did. Man, you're getting awful legalistic, Pat. Why can't we drink? And I said, I didn't say you couldn't drink. I said, I don't want to drink. Yeah, but now you're making us feel bad. And I go, well, that's your problem, not my problem. Well, yeah, but you should just do it. Come on. I go, no, this is what I've decided. You do whatever you want. You have the freedom to do whatever you want. This is something God put on my heart. Just stop it. Hey, you got to stand on your convictions, and if God has convicted you, you got to do it. So listen, don't do that in the inner court. And then, here's an interesting thing. Look at verse 22. They shall not take a wife take as a wife a widow or a divorced woman but take the virgins of the descendants of the house of Israel or widows of priests so here's what he says you got to be careful in your relationships once again watch your relationships be careful in your relationships watch what you're doing and I think again that goes for all of us be careful in your relationships I tell people all the time especially younger people man why why would you date an unbeliever well, because I'm, I'm like missionary dating, and if I get really close to them, maybe they'll, they'll come to the Lord. Yeah, that doesn't work too often. You can ask a lot of people. I, hey, there's people in the fellowship I can introduce you to, and you can talk to them how that worked out for them. And it usually generally does not work out. And then I always tell people this, you know, if you're dating an unbeliever, you're not gonna like your in-laws because they're children of the devil, so just saying, you know, just kind of take that in account and understand that. And hey, 
Stay away. So listen, he says, be careful. And you and I, we need to be careful in relationships and not just dating marriage relationships, but relationships. And then here's what I love. Look at verse 23. And they shall teach my people the difference between holy and the unholy and cause them to discern between the clean and the unclean. If there's anything we've lost in the 21st century, it's that. We're no longer talking about what's right and what's wrong. We're trying to mush it all. Well, you know, do whatever you want. Hey, I'm going to be a pastor that I'm always going to call sin, sin. And I'm always going to try and guide us to do the right thing and go the right direction. I just got in a, in a mess just uh, earlier this year because I called sin, sin. And, you know, and I'm still kind of suffering some stuff from that with people. Who, you know, Why did you do that? Well, because this is what I felt and this is what's going on. And I'm going to stand on that. And here's what he's saying. You and I have a responsibility. Listen carefully. Who is going to be the standard or, or bring up the standard in the world if it's not Christians? And we have a responsibility to do that and to bring it up. And listen, we can do it in a way that's not negative, not combative, not aggressive, not in your face, but we can do it. And I think we need to learn how to do that. That's something I think we need to do. Listen, we, I'm not telling you you need to go out there and go, you bunch of sinners, you're all going to hell. That doesn't work too well. But I'm telling you to live in such a way, speak in such a way, conduct yourself in such a way that people will know. And hey, you can tell somebody something sin without getting in their face and being aggressive and, and combative towards them. You can do it in a way that's not that way. And hey, they may take it that way. You know, my heart is always, if the Bible or the truth offends you, that's on you. But if it's me bringing the truth and the way I bring it, that's on me. So I need to bring the truth in such a way that the truth can speak and not my actions, not my you know, body language, etc. So listen, man, he's saying, you and I have that responsibility and if anything, listen, if anything, I think verse 23 should be our motto in our lives that you and I, we're gonna work at teaching, number one, teaching brothers and sisters around us what's truth and what's not, what's clean and what's unclean, but also going into the world and letting the world know there's a difference. Hey, I think the world should know, I'm not like you. I'm different, why? Because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and he's changed my life. At least that's what he's supposed to do, right? If we come to Jesus, aren't we supposed to be different? I am so glad that I'm not that guy uh, back in 1983 who died. So I tell my friends that I run into, they go, oh, we know you. I go, no, you know the guy who died in 1983. You need to get to know the new Pat. So that, well, a little bit more. Verse 24, in controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments, and they shall keep my laws and my statutes in all my appointed meetings, and they shall hallow my Sabbath. So God says, listen, man, you're gonna take this stand, and again, this is during the millennium. You're gonna take these stands. They're gonna be the judges, you and I, and the believers who go in, the judges of that time. And then they shall not, verse 25, defile themselves by coming near a dead person, and uh, only for a father or a mother, for a son or a daughter, for a brother or an unmarried sister, may they defile themselves. After he is cleansed, they shall count seven days for him. And on the day that he goes into the sanctuary to minister in the sanctuary, he must offer his sin offering in the inner court, says the Lord God. So listen, God's saying, hey, you gotta keep yourself from certain things. And sometimes it can be good things, 
but you got to give them up. You got to walk away from them. And there's sometimes, hey, there's sometimes, hey, it's permissible for everybody to do, but you. And that's kind of hard. But you got to make a choice. How far are you going to go in your relationship with the Lord? How far are you going to take yourself into that intimate closeness with the Lord? And that's the only you can make that decision. And some of us, we're casual. We have a casual acquaintance with the Lord. And listen, I'm not saying you're not going to heaven because if you're saved, you're saved. But you're not going to enjoy the journey. I want to enjoy the journey. You see, my Bible says that I can have life and life to its fullest. And the way I have life to its fullest is with a dynamic, close relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm going to do. So listen, man, he tells them, hey, you got to, you know, you don't get to go bottom line. Here's what he's saying. You don't get to go to funerals. Now, it's kind of interesting. People are going to die during the millennium. Now, Isaiah tells us they're going to live a long, 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 long time. But the people are still going to be dying. People are still going to be, you know, getting in married, giving in married. People are going to be being born. So he says, hey, you got to be careful. And then even if it's your father, or your mother, or your sister, or your brother, hey, if you do that funeral, you got to wait eight days before you serve me again. Now, verse 28, it shall be, it shall be in regard to their inheritance that I am their inheritance and you shall give them no possession in Israel for I am their possession. We're gonna read the next couple weeks about the land being divided up. Guess who got none? Those who are serving the Lord. Why? Because God is their, hey, is God enough? And hey, here's what he's saying, man. He's saying, you get me. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'll give up everything to get him. Hmm, didn't we sing that in a song? Isn't it funny how it kind of rolls off our lips when we're singing and then somebody makes a statement and you're going, I didn't mean everything. I meant almost everything. Then we should change the lyrics and I give you almost everything. Not I give you my all, I give you almost. So he says, hey, I'm your inheritance. That's kind of cool to think about, right? And he says in verse 29, they shall eat the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, and every delicate thing in Israel shall be theirs, their dedicated thing shall be theirs. The best of all the first fruits of any kind and every sacrifice of any kind from all your sacrifices shall be the priests and also you shall give to the priests the first of your ground meal to cause a blessing to the rest of your house. And the priest shall not eat any, anything, bird or beast, that dies naturally or was torn by wild beasts. So here's what he's saying. You need to trust God for everything. And I think that's an important thing. I was talking to somebody after service on, on Saturday, a, a young guy who really wants to go into the ministry. And he was asking me some things and because and he was advised by a chaplain, that that's not a good idea. And I was a little shocked, and he was a little shocked. He told me, I'm really shocked, man, because I want to serve the Lord, and his chaplain told me that's not a good idea. And I said, well, I don't know what chaplain that was, but I wouldn't go see him again. And, he, and here's what the chaplain told him. Because you won't make enough money. Mm. Hey, God is all you need. I've never regretted, listen, I've never regretted what I've walked away from to serve the Lord, ever, ever. And I don't know where I would have gone, what would have happened. You know, I can do all the what-if scenarios with my business and, and doing the pottery and, quote, art things and stuff. I don't know what would have happened, 
but I don't care. And I never went into the ministry to see how much money I could make. It was never the objective. When I, when I went into ministry, all I wanted to do was serve and teach. You know, the other day, Gaynell and I were talking and something came up and this happens to me a lot. I, I told her, I go, all I ever wanted to do was just teach the Bible. You know, and other things come up in ministry when you start pastoring and these things come up and, and I always think, I just wanted to, well, why don't we just do like a small Bible study and let's do that because I don't want to do all this other stuff. But the Lord is your inheritance. That doesn't get better. There's nothing better than Jesus. And I'm gonna tell you, there's nothing better than serving him and giving him your all. When you do that, you, I've not talked to anybody that's regretted that. So here's what he says, man. The people, and here's the way I interpret this, the people that wanna compromise and bring the world in to their relationship with the Lord are gonna suffer consequences. The people who are gonna make a choice to make a, a, you know, quote, a division in that sense of, I'm not gonna allow the world to influence my thinking and influence who I am and influence the way I go, nor the culture, you're gonna see God do great things and do amazing things. So the choice is ours. You can have life to the fullest or you can have almost life to the fullest. You choose. Let's stand up and pray.